You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. We have not met. My name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here downtown. Uh, we're going to continue in our series today, uh, Union with Christ. Uh, so I'm going to just start us off with just a little, little story, get us warmed up a little bit. Uh, so we have six leadership values that we go through uh, that just kind of dictate how we are to lead. Uh, each week, I lead, it's called, we call it groups team. And during the week, I just go through each one of our values once a week. And basically, it goes something like this. We'll, we'll have a leadership value, own it. And I'll say, all right, today's leadership values, own it. I want you to take whoever's, you know, one of our team members. You got three minutes. I want you to tell me what does this leadership value mean? And we're just consistently doing that. It helps us uh, really learn them and put them into practice. So anyway, one day, uh, we're going through the leadership value. Uh, you can teach people what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And it was my turn to explain it. And so I'm just thinking, all right, what's the most concise way I could explain this value? And I just looked at him. I said, uh, have y'all met my children? Because that sums up, that sums up that leadership value well. You can teach people what you know, but you reproduce who you are. Uh, there is so much about me in my kids. Uh, so you might have met my oldest daughter. Her name is Zoe, and Zoe and I resemble each other the most. Uh, in fact, there have been a few times on Facebook that Courtney's posted something, and it suggests that I tag myself. Like, we look that much alike. And she's only 11. She doesn't even have a beard yet. Like, it's really... <laughs> It's uncanny, but it goes even further beyond looks. We act like each other. So I was going to give a, a story uh, about my kids playing spades and Zoe embarrassing Ben Waller, but I won't get into that one <laughs> because last night, I got a better example. Last night, we were playing basketball, and so we just got a new basketball hoop. We're playing two-on-two. Uh, Sadie is my eight-year-old and I are on the same team and Zoe and my wife Courtney are on the team and we're playing and we're just really competitive people and it's all my fault like it's just it's everywhere uh, and so we're playing and uh, Zoe is very fierce like she even has an angry face when she's playing and and she is fierce and my, my eight-year-old's trying to guard her uh, and and she's frustrated and she's She's on the verge of tears. Like you can just see it. She's ready to cry. She's so frustrated. Uh, and so I'm giving her a pep talk. I'm trying to get her to stick in there, be strong. We're going to make it. We're going to win. We only have one more point. Like we're about to win. We just have one more point. And, uh, and so I, I pass through the ball. She shoots. She scores. And like immediately I run up to her and I said, don't show them your tears, show them your baskets. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? Oh, she's eight. 
But like, I just breathe this competitive nature. It's like, we are going to win. <laughs> and I kid you not, <laughs> later that night, we're putting them to bed and I give her a little dap and I'm like, congrats, champ. And she's giggling and loves it. And I just hear Zoe and her share the same room. And I just hear Zoe uh, pipe up. She's like, hey, mom, if you're going to be my partner, you got to learn to shoot. <laughs> And it's just like, oh, I, this is hilarious. I'm giggling. And then I just have to apologize to my wife. Like, this is all my fault. <laughs> like, this is all me. They get this from me. Some would say that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. My kids are alike, a lot like me. I reproduce who I am. And a lot of what we're going to talk about in our sermon today is that very concept but we're gonna take it even further back. We're gonna talk about what we have inherited from our first parents. So turn with me. We're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 21 and 22. So you can open your Bibles, your apps, or follow along with me on the screen. Turn, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're gonna start in verse 21. Paul writes, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So when we kind of began this series uh, last week, we're talking about the insurmountable blessing that God has given to us believers who are in Christ and we unpack this theological concept called union with him, how our life is bound to his life such that everything that he has became our own. We are in Christ. And, and in this whole series, we really just want to uh, capture the beauty of this. And we want to tease out the implications of what it means to be in Christ uh, but today, before we dive into the beauty and the implications, I want to show you the necessity. We needed this to happen because before we were in Christ, we were in Adam. For as by a man came death, in Adam all die. If you're familiar with the story in Genesis, uh, we are in Adam. So God created and after everything that God created, there's just this rhythm. He creates, he speaks, he creates, and then he says, this is good. And he speaks, he creates, and this is good. He speaks, he creates, and this is good. And there's this, this rhythm because God's building something beautiful and wonderful and good. And in this perfect garden, God creates humanity, Adam and Eve. They live and walk in perfect, right relationship. And God proclaims, this is very good. Everything is, uh, the Hebrew word shalom, at peace. Everything's built the right way, perfectly fits together. There are no cracks. There are no broken parts. It's beautiful. It's whole. It's together. Enter the serpent. The devil tempts Adam and Eve. And they are deceived. He deceives them. He lures them to disobedience and rebellion. The way that Jesus describes the devil is that he primarily operates by deception and lies. The scripture calls the devil the deceiver. And the fall happened because Adam and Eve, they believed the lie. 
they believed that God didn't really love them or maybe that God didn't want what was best for them. They believed that they knew more and were entitled to more. And so they ate. And as a result, all that was so good and very good, so shalom and at peace and whole and right and fitted together just so, all of it was broken, bent, and fractured. We see glimpses glimpses of God's peace, but it's like we're looking in a broken mirror because everything is distorted and cracked, bent, broken, and cursed. They were removed from the garden in God's abiding presence. Their sin brought death and disease and destruction, and Adam passed down his choice and his consequences to us. We are in Adam. And that means that His sin was passed down to us. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We inherited his sinful nature from from him. Because of Adam, sin now infects everything and everyone. It's like a genetic trait that has been handed down from person to person for generation to generation. Parents, you get a front row seat to all of this. How many of you had to teach your kids to say no? right? You don't have to do it. You don't have to teach your kids to lie. You don't have to teach your kids to hit. You don't have to teach your kids to disobey in a thousand different ways. I remember my my mom has uh, used to say something, and I might even say it myself these days, because even though you swear you won't be like your parents, you will. Uh, I didn't raise you this way, but you didn't have to. I inherited it. I'm hardwired because I'm in Adam. And this concept of being in Adam is not just for our kids. It's not something we grow out of. Adam is in us and we are in Adam. Some of us, our in Adam nature is very present. Like you you see it, you know it. We, We rebel in very outward ways. For others of us, our in Adam nature is more hidden. So I'm going to give you a quick little test, a little scenario to help you expose for all of us our in-Adam nature. What if during this week we recorded all of your inner dialogue as you drove through Columbia during five-hour traffic and we played it next week? I have a feeling it might expose something. Maybe it'll show your impatience and irritation Might we hear your cursing, your judgment, and your condemnation? Maybe anger, if not rage. Like, in when I even was writing this and I was thinking about this, I felt it. You know, like I felt it already. Like, when I'm driving, I'm not always internal with my processing. (laughs) I might yell out, get over. Use your blinker. Are you kidding me? Sure, this is your world. We're just living in it. Could you please hurry up? It's called a fast lane. Why are you in it? Like all of this, it just gets exposed in me, in us. And that's a funny example, but the reality is we all know that there's a problem in us. When you feel it, we all definitively know there is a problem around us. We know that we are broken and the world is broken. 
and we don't always know how to fix it. And one of the big problems is many times people get caught up treating symptoms rather than actually curing the illness. Martin Luther King Jr. said, there's something wrong with our world, something fundamentally and basically wrong. I don't think we have to look too far to see that. And when we stop to analyze the cause of our, world, our, our world's ills, many things come to mind. We begin to wonder if it's due to the fact that we don't, have, we don't know enough. But it can't be that, because in terms of accumulated knowledge, we know more today than men have known in any period of human history. It can't be because men, man is stagnant in his scientific progress. Man's scientific genius has been amazing. I think we have to look much deeper than that if we are to find the real cause of man's problems and the real cause of the world's ills today. If we are to really find it, I think we will have to look in the hearts and souls of men. It's really important that we're aware of what's wrong with us so that we can be pointed to the right solution. If you misdiagnose the underlying problem, you have virtually no chance of solving the deepest problem. It's like if you have pneumonia, it's not enough to just treat the cough. It's not enough to just treat the symptoms. You must deal with the root problem. And the root problem is that we are in Adam and that Adam is in us. It is clear that we dwell in sin and that sin dwells in us. The apple didn't fall far from the tree. We have believed the lies. We have acted in deceit. The effects of the curse are in us and around us. And this means that the solution cannot be found from within. The, the inner is polluted. We need to be cleansed. Sin runs in our bloodlines. It flows through our veins. So self-actualization and self-help, they actually want cut it. They might improve some things, and you might treat some of the symptoms, but you can't cure the disease. You can't change from within. You can't perfect yourselves. So we can't absolve ourselves. So recently, I, uh, we, we moved up to the Northeast, and it's increased my commute time. And therefore, it's increased my uh, chance to listen to some podcasts. Uh, and some of my favorite types of podcasts are what, what I guess you call long-term, uh, inter- or long, not long-term, long form, there you go, long-form interviews, uh, where there, you know, it can be an hour, an, an hour and a half, the host is sitting down with someone who's super smart, super successful, and they're just trying to figure out why, how did you get here? What happened in your life? How, how did you come about this? What are you doing now? It's really fascinating. It's almost like uh, people watching. I just get to learn so much about how people work. And one of the things that's so fascinating is most of these people are high, uh, incredibly rich and successful. And, and now that they have somewhat arrived, their number one goal, almost verbatim for each one of them, is self-improvement and self-actualization. And they just talk about all the things that they're doing to perfect themselves, even ways in which they're trying to extend their life. Uh, they're using uh, exercise and wellness 
routines, uh, talk about how to sleep, how to eat, self-reflection, meditation, therapy. Even people are talking about micro-dosing mushrooms and psychedelics. I mean, they're just all out there trying to figure out how can I make the best version of myself? How can I fix that inner self that is broken? And it's, it's, it's wild because they have all of the financial resources to pursue all the different options out there. But every one of them is still longing for something. Everyone I listen to are, are stating, I haven't found it yet. This helped momentarily. I'm better because blank. Even with all of their resources, they just can't fix themselves. Help must come from the outside. And so I'm going to talk to you about the solution. But here's what I need from you. So this whole series, when Ant, uh, our pastor at Two Notch, who was here uh, last week, when he was pitching this whole series to us, kind of the, the motivation for it was, I want our people to love Jesus more. Sometimes, as, as pastors, we, we think about, we really want our, our people, we want you, you guys, to spend more time with Jesus, spending time in prayer and in the word. And Ant's hypothesis is, if you fell more in love with Jesus, you would want to spend more time with him. And so that's our whole goal in this series, is we want you to hear and see and experience the goodness of who God is. And may it well up in you a love and a desire to be with him and to live out what he has done for you. So I'm about to give you some good news. And here's where I need your help. We, as a church, are not known for responding out loud, verbally, or through claps with good news. But you know what? Thank you. We're going to do that today. I want to change it. I'm going to help you practice falling in love because I'm going to tell you some good things. And if you don't clap, I'm going to tell you this is where you need to clap. If you don't amen, I'm going to tell you this is, this is the part that's good because we want to awaken our affections for Jesus and what he's done for us. So our verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22, for as by, by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The solution is Christ coming to us so that we dwell and live and be with him and he dwells and lives and is with us. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good practice. That's it. Hey, we need new blood. We need help from the outside. So just uh, at member meeting we did on Thursday and back uh, when we did Good Friday, we were doing communion a little bit different and I was able to offer, you know, my wife and I were able to offer the bread and the juice. And both times uh, when people would come up, they would grab bread and she would say, this is his body broken for you. And every time I was doing my best to look whoever was there in the eyes and I would just put the bowl forward and say, this is his blood shed for you. You need this blood. I need this blood. I need help that I can't do on my own. And the good news, let me remind you, uh, Jesus has succeeded in every way that Adam failed. So where Adam failed in the garden, Jesus succeeded in the garden. 
Where Adam succumbed to the lies of the devil, Christ resisted. Where Adam believed the lie that God doesn't love us, Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. Where Adam rebelled and Jesus Jesus obeyed. Where Adam's sin brought death, Jesus' death brought life. Where Adam brought the curse, Jesus became the curse. Where Adam where Adam's choices exiled him from the garden and God's dwelling place, Jesus' suffering welcomes us home to be with him and enjoy him forever. So in Adam, we are failures. We're succumbing to temptation and deception. We are rebellious against God, cursed objects of wrath, exiled from God, awaiting death and judgment. But in Christ, we are more than conquerors. We are victorious able to resist temptation. We're able to follow in the truth. We grow in obedience to God as children of the Almighty, abiding in Him and awaiting an eternal home and reward. We're in Christ. We needed it. We couldn't do it for ourselves. We needed someone to come help us. For those who believe we are now in Christ, because the way that, that Pastor Sinclair Ferguson wrote it was, all that we were, when we were in Adam, was put on Christ for a moment. When he took our sin upon himself and died for us, and all that he has, has become ours. Romans 5, 18 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. We were in Adam, and now we are in Christ. In bringing us into himself and uniting himself to us spiritually, our guilt and condemnation and shame and unrighteousness become his on the cross, and in him we receive his righteousness. We receive his status as a child of God. We receive victory over sin. We receive victory over death. We receive eternal life with God the Father. We receive an inheritance of the kingdom of God that will last forever. That's a good one. Clapping too. That's good. I like it. I like it. We want to we move in this direction. So if you are a believer... This means that your truest identity, more than anything else about you, your truest identity is that you are in Christ. It is the truest thing about you. All that we talked about last week, you are now holy and blameless. You are a child of the living God. You are forgiven and redeemed. You are an heir to his kingdom. You are sealed with his spirit. And this is incredibly important. So I've, I've used the phrasing, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And I've tried to, to use it to, to help illustrate and talk about my family and expose and all that kind of stuff. But there are people, likely people in this room, where that statement, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, feels like a curse. Like an unwanted destiny. So I've got a couple of friends who carry a lot of fear, sometimes paralyzing fear that they're going to turn into their dad. One in particular, uh, his dad was not very present. In fact, probably just easiest to say his dad was absent. And it felt like from a very young age, he was called to become the man of the household. 
And he just saw the effects of his dad's failure and absence on him and his whole family. And so he kind of lives with this constant low-grade, gnawing fear that one day the other shoe's going to drop. One day he's going to let his guard down. One day he's going to fail his family just like his dad did. The phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, haunts him. What he needs to hear, what many of us need to hear, is that yes, you have inherited some things from your parents. Yes, you will reflect them them in many ways. But our biological father, our first father, doesn't have the ultimate say-so in our destiny. Our destiny is what is written in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Many of us have felt trapped in our sin, in our shame, and even in our life trajectory. Petrified that we are destined to become the worst parts of ourselves, the worst parts of the people who raised us that the sins of our parents or the sins of others would just go on keeping repeating themselves in us and the wounds and the scars that we bear would haunt us, that our destiny was set. And then we read Romans 8, 29, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Our destiny is set in Jesus. When we read this, uh, I don't sing, but it, it, help, it, it puts my heart into song. My destiny is changed. I'm, I'm not conformed to the ways in which I was living. I have been set free. So the song, uh, Hallelujah, Thank You, Jesus. I was a prisoner. Now I'm not. With your blood, you bought my freedom. Hallelujah for the cross. For those who are in Christ, the course of your life has been altered. The trajectory is not the same. Help has come. Help has come from the outside to change the inside. You were in Adam. And for those who believe, you are now in Christ. Now, I'd love to keep telling you more about the beauty of this. I'd love to tell you more about the application of this, but I've got to save it for the whole rest of the series. I can't steal good content from from future sermons. So I'm going to give you one, one last scripture, and I'm going to give you a couple of stories to help you understand this idea, this concept. Ephesians 4, verse 22 and 24, it says, Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In Christ, you had a form, in in Adam, you had a former manner of living. Your old self, we were in Adam. Now we are called to renew our minds and to put on the new self and to live out what it means to be in Christ. So here's my first illustration. Have y'all seen the wonderful, delightful movie, Princess Diaries? 
is old school, old school, but classic. You have Mia, played by Anne Hathaway. Uh, she didn't know her true identity until her grandmother, Julie Andrews, showed up and to inform her that she was a princess. She doesn't feel like a princess. She doesn't act like a princess. And the whole of the movie is her trying to decide how and if she's going to live out her new identity. If she's going to take on the life changes, the responsibility, and the privileges. When we are in Christ, there's a similar sense that he's telling us we have a new identity and he's inviting us to live it out. On a more serious note, we have a ministry called Recovery. Uh, Recovery is a group that meets in a 10-week cycle, and the goal is we want to help people achieve freedom and healing from issues that seem unbeatable in their lives. We've seen God do incredible things through this ministry. I would say if you have not attended, you should. I won't overhype it because the next cycle doesn't start to the fall. But when you hear it, advertise again, and you haven't been there, I recommend it. So we start recovery the first night. We ask people to write down one word or phrase to describe themselves. And kind of the idea behind it is uh, they choose a word and then they, they share why they chose that word. And it, it's a real simple, easy way to understand the story people are coming from and the way, almost the inner monologue, the way that they talk to themselves. This past cycle, <clears throat> some, here are some of the words that people wrote down. I am a slave. I'm unredeemable. I am broken beyond repair. I'm a victim. I am hopeless. I am damaged goods. Those are people in our church family. These are the stories that they're telling themselves and how they define their life and what they've been through. And at the end of the cycle, on the last night of recovery, everyone's given the opportunity to go around and reshare their word. But they also share something else, what they now know to be true about themselves. In just a few weeks, we finished it up, and, and here's a couple of things that people said. I walked into recovery feeling like a victim of sexual assault, that I was totally broken. My word was victim. But now I know that I am redeemed and whole. I was in Adam, and now I'm in Christ. And I'm learning my new story and my new identity and how I live it out. Another person walked into recovery and said uh, that they felt that their word was slave. But now they know they have freedom in Christ to repent and believe the gospel. We all have an old self. We all have a former way of living, living 
the dominant stories of our life was that we were trapped in Adam and Adam in us. Through the power of the cross and the resurrection from the dead, we have been given a new life, a new identity, and a new story to live out. We were in Adam. Now we are in Christ. And we're going to spend the next five weeks or so just fleshing that out. What are the the beauty of it? What are the implications? And our hope and our prayer is that in the midst of that, you would fall more in love with Jesus for who he is and what he's done for you.